freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Hello, culminators. Today, we're going to be talking with the enigmatic, and you'll understand why I say that in a minute. Now you see him, now you don't. You'll understand that in a second as well. Owen Lenahan. Owen Lenahan is a pretty controversial guy. I don't know that so many people who listen to this podcast would find him all that controversial, but because he has been a very outspoken and effective critic and analyst of the Antifa phenomenon and all the phenomena connected with it, like my friend Andy No, he has been a target of uh, a lot of cancellation and a lot of opprobrium, abuse. And uh, we're gonna use this opportunity to get to know him a little bit better and find out what's, what indeed is so awful about Owen Lanahan. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Rod, and thanks for that um, introduction. I'm going to just before I'm going to just tell tell the audience what what I mentioned to you before we went on. You and I had a regular correspondence back when you were on Twitter regularly, going back a couple of years. And then you appeared all of a sudden. uh, I don't know whether you DM me and said hi or whether I saw you in the in the in the in the stream. And I said, oh, wow, you're you're back. Let's get you on the show. And that was all that God wanted for us to connect through that medium because yep. they wasted no time in finding a way to uh, get you re-reinstated. Re, re, un, Had the reinstatement been accompanied by any kind of message from Twitter before? I mean, I'm going out of chronological order here, but I don't want sure, to- Sure, but yeah, it was really interesting because I was allowed back on May 1st, which I thought was very fitting, May Day, um, considering the people who have worked so hard to get rid of me. <laughs> but um, I was allowed back on for 10 hours, essentially, before the same mob, Antifa, and some of their friends in the media um, who had basically deplatformed me in 2019 after my research first came out. It was the exact same faces. It was, it was as if nothing had changed, you know, and they were just all over it again. And I was gone within 10 hours. Again, nothing controversial said the account Owen Lenehan. I can go through the process of how I was banned, but Owen Lenehan, it was a clean account, no marks. I had been allowed back. No funny business here. I haven't tried to sneak back. I took my, I took my punishment. I left the platform since 2019. I, I appealed thinking, oh, well, with this Musk business, who knows? Let's give it a go. And um, I, I got back on. They, they allowed me back on. And then as soon as, yeah, the usual suspects sniffed me out, that was it. Gone again, straight away. And what were, do, you, do you have any idea of what they said you were doing that was new? The current um, reason for being um, banned is um, evading permanent suspension. But <laughs> okay. they let me on literally right. 10 right. hours before they overturned the ban. You know, I haven't. <laughs> it's, it's the exact same account. It's insane. But 
I think, I don't know, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it as we go, but my feeling is that there's there's certain people who have friends perhaps within Twitter. Yeah. And who, I think, I think there's a, and I think, right. And I think there's a, I think management is itself doesn't know what's it's what its future looks like. And there's a tug of war. Correct. Within among different control and management and technology groups. I think that's why I was let on to be honest with you. Right. I think that um, there was a lot of fear. A lot of people were thinking, Oh, there was a lot in the news about, um people being certain voices being suppressed and then i believe that i got back on with a raft of others there were other names that were allowed back on i think i don't know him very well because it's outside of my scene but there's a dr zen zelenko zev zelenko yes he, yeah. he was the high, high COVID guy right. very high profile banning i believe he was allowed on the exact same day and so it was my feeling was yeah there was fear within and they were saying uh oh before the algorithms come out, maybe before Musk sniffs yeah, around in the shadows. Who knows? All right, who knows? so let's let's now unwind back. Tell us about your work, how you okay. got interested in this work, and the the Owen story. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm Irish. You might have heard, <laughs> and uh, I live in Germany, and I've been here since 2007. I've worked in the international school system here. Um, I did my doctorate in international education in the University of Augsburg. I had taught here in the, in the international school for three years and then jumped over to the uni. And I was teaching there as well, teaching trainees, teachers. Part of, it, actually the, the initial interest in extremism came from doing the doctorate. I was trying to draw up an internationally minded way to bring diverse communities together. I was looking at this, um, corner of Ulm, the next biggest city, well, actually the city, our city, um, where I was living. Um, I was looking at a corner of that that's, uh, what's to give you a fair example, a bit, uh, I suppose it's not quite as bad as the Balyus in France, in Paris, but heading that way, we have a, very a no, clever no population. No go zone. Yeah, we're getting to that point. So I, that's where I made my my focus point. Now, I, I was lucky enough to be able to spend time with a lot of Turkish and Russian gang members and things like that. And that's where I first kind of became, um, I got used to this scene in a very practical way. My way of always approaching these things as an educator is, okay, how can I fit, you know, what are the roots of this? How can we fix it? You know, that's, um, so that's where I began. And then in 2016, I was really beginning to enjoy this angle of the work. And in 2016, I applied for a position with what was then the Tony Blair Fate Foundation. They were looking for somebody to write up curriculum documents on how to prevent extremism or tackle extremism in the classroom, violent extreme, online violent extremism. And that was, you know, that brought a lot of my interest together. I, that was, yeah, that's exactly. Now, now at that time, when they said extremism, what did they mean? Well, the Tony Blair Faith Foundation is going to be left-leaning, you know, um, obviously. Um, so <clears throat> what I think I was probably naive, right? Because I had come from this. My, I, if I go further back in Ireland, I was an archaeologist. My father is an anthropologist, a storyteller. Oh. I grew up going straight to the source. If you see an issue, go straight to the source. If you want to get the true story, go straight to the source, literally. And that was the approach I brought to this with this um, tough area in Ulm where I was researching. And that's what I also thought you would bring to- um, And you were the, fluent in German, obviously. Yes. Obvi I mean, a stupid question, but 
Well, back then I wasn't, you know, the oh, same really? hand on foot. So you have to do it with hand and leg. You just bit here, <laughs> bit there. But luckily, everyone here speaks English too. I mean, that I was allowed to be lazy, you know, people here are phenomenal. But um, so my approach was very much this human approach. You just get in there, you talk to people, you try to understand people, you build a relationship with them. And I just assumed that on the online sphere, that that can be done. You know, I know you think there's these barriers, but if you look online, it's very clear and you, you know, understand how Twitter and Facebook, Facebook works and there's groups and there's, if you can get close to these groups, you can see how people, how, how these people tick, try and build a profile of who's in these groups. So this, so to answer your question, is I quickly, I uh, the gentleman I was involved with at the Tony Blair Faith Foundation was a terribly open-minded man. He was wonderful. But I would, I think the focus, like everywhere, is just on the right. There is there is no left wing extremism as far as any of these large organizations are concerned. And um, and I can talk about that later. In fact, not only does it exist, it's the lifeblood for places like the SPLC. If the SPLC does not have Antifa procuring doxes for them, for example, they don't have a job. You know, there's they have nothing coming in. Right. They don't do it themselves. They they you know they're outsourcing that. But anywho. That um, these guys were interested in far right, so I went in that direction. I was interested in going, um, uh, looking at what the far right scene on Twitter was was like. And this is the year now. What's so twenty sixteen? So um, I made my initial contact with them in twenty sixteen. They offered me a contract to write this. Um, it was a verbal agreement. It fell through because the Tony Blair Faith Foundation um, underwent a huge um, change, a remodeling. Um, everything, I think like 2016 was a bit like the Clinton Foundation, there was concerns and I think everybody was just just freshening up. And um, so they underwent a fish uh, lift and our project fell between the cracks. I kept in touch with this gentleman, however, lovely guy. And I, so I was communicating to him the entire time and saying, hey, I'm going to push forward with this. Maybe if even if I have to do it myself, maybe down the line, you guys can publish the work. And he's he was. Yeah, that's great. So I then, um, I, I was initially interested, I don't, in 2017, um, there was a group called Gripers. And now there's Gripers that still exist today, but they're not the same Gripers. These are this Nick Fuentes, that's a whole different scene and a whole different, completely different, same name, different people. Oh, really? And I was fascinated by them. This was my first contact really with um with what some would consider a far-right extremist. And I got in and I started looking and two things happened. First of all, I became, I had a huge revelation. First was, well, first of all, these guys weren't really far-right at all. Most of them were just guys who were having a laugh. And, and some of them were, of course, racist and some were this, but, but there was no organizational structure. There was nothing there that you can, by any definition of extremist group, identify, you know, you cannot label this group. Um, but I, I, I found it fascinating. I got in, I made some interesting connections there. I saw, it was what I expected. A lot of these guys were depressed. A lot had substance abuse issues. A lot were just locked out of the job market, came from historically impoverished areas. The, what you would expect to find. And that's where my interest was. And I was going, okay, now I can get these indicators. Let's see, how can we you know, stop these guys as teenagers falling into this path? But then I kind of realized that I wasn't the only guy looking around this scene. And I started quickly coming across Antifa and other, and I started coming across some journalists and some 
Antifa who were clearly who are openly stating that they were feeding information to journalists. But it was very clear that their reason for being there was not my reason for being there. My reason to be there was figure out what's why why did we get to this point? How can we fix it? Whereas theirs very clearly was provoke, push. And, and, and let's get something out of this. Let's get clicks out of this. Let's sell this. And I found that deeply, deeply disturbing. I found that really troubling. And so by 2018, I gave a talk at the Conrad Adenauer Stiftung in Berlin. And that was a talk kind of on my initial, just I had nothing down in paper, but it was my initial findings, just kind of looking into the scene. And um, I talked about left and right, and basically the absence of a left and how- At this point, you're really, you're, you're a completely independent researcher. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you, no, no one's no one's funding you. You don't nothing, have you, nothing. Yeah. All just all me, and um, I, I. Uh, so why I was so, wait, Berlin, so let me. I'm going to ask you a question that that might come across as personal, but I, I think it's if I were conspiracy minded, I would want to know how were you making a living at that point? Because I'm assuming if I'm Antifa, okay, if I'm if I'm a disinformation agent. Yeah. So, okay. So at this point, Owen's being supported by the CIA, or, ah. or, or, or by, or sure, by sure. Uh, the Groypers or, or whoever it's supposed to be who does this stuff. So how, what are you doing? Sell, selling schnitzel? Uh, you know what? Yeah. So I was working at this point doing my doctorate. I was do, still doing my doctorate. Oh, you're, in, you're still in, on a fellowship. I was doing it in the university doctor. No fellowship. No fellowship. I was uh -huh. working there. I was teaching okay. seminars, and that was my income. Whatever I met from there, very modest very very modest yeah. but that's what i was doing to support myself during that okay um and that was the first thing they went after actually unsurprisingly um <clears throat> but that's what that's that was it everything i was doing was out of interest and it was also out of so i was blogging a lot on education at the point um i had a i had a very long-running blog at this point by 2016 i was beginning to see uh oh you know, we're seeing a major shift here. You know, we have Donald Trump coming in and we have Brexit coming. But what I saw again was the reaction in the teacher community. And there was a lot of vitriol. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of, and I went, this is dangerous. This isn't so good when we have our school teachers and I could clearly see how it was tipping over. Um, so a lot of it came out of my personal interest. I didn't need to be paid for this because it affected my, my profession as a teacher directly you know again i could see where all these lines just again started intersecting you know as again the extremism was coming into my classroom uh -huh. <laughs> teachers were being radicalized for christ's sake at this time but in which that, direction which extremism and how are they being radicalized well i would say from some of the stuff that i saw teaching is an inherently left-wing profession that's just how it is that's always been that way since i've been alive and it's increasingly so and the statistics show that that as well that um whereas even i think 10 years ago um, the vast majority of university educators and teachers identified as center left um but now we're gone to almost no conservative and we're pushing into far left but um i was seeing a lot of stuff at the time about um it was really where it was kicking off pre-19 uh 2015-16 a lot of this talk about um i can give you a personal example for example so i 
went to England when I was um, in 2005. That's where I initially wanted to study my doctorate. I had a terrible time. I had a lot of bad luck, but I was I faced a lot of discrimination for being Irish as well. I had a lot of staff and a lot of people on the street abuse me because of my accent. There was a lot of this paddy haha that you think would be long gone. Yeah, you like, would. <laughs> whatever. No problem. But and I saw a lot of the other side. Then I, I laughed. So the, my first introduction to real race and race problems was England, because I had this where I had, I remember my very first day in England, I, I got off a bus, it was Reading University, I wanted to get to the university, I wanted to ask a guy, um, I got off the train, I should say, and I asked him, hey, where's the bus to the university? And he stopped me at, can you tell me, you know, I, I didn't get past, can you? He says, why don't you fuck off back to your own fucking country, mate? When you can speak English, come back, blah, blah, blah. And I had to laugh. I said, is this a 1970s skit like, you know, or whatever, push on past it. But within that same week, I was walking home from campus to my accommodation and I had a car full of, uh, it was, I was later able to find out through the chip shop owner that it was um, Pakistani youths who swung their car around and rolled the windows down. Go, I, the, the, ter the, ter the term in the US, in the UK is Asians. They were Asians. Everyone's Asian, <laughs> but I, yeah, correct. And you're a white C word. And I had to laugh because I was going, where do I fit in here? I'm a, I'm a paddy to the, these guys and I'm a white. But the point being that um, it was a crazy time, but to get to the point, I told this story one day on Twitter. Because, you know, I'm not one for self-pity. A lot of Irish people, you know, you realize that if you wallow in your past, it's a dead end street and we have plenty to wallow in, you know, um, I think yeah, I was sure. Jewish as well. Right. Yes. Rock. As you were telling, as you were telling this story, I was saying to myself, you know, you know I don't, want to, story, slow, I don't right? want to slow him down. Right. Yeah. Well, listen, when my mother's family came from Poland to Cuba in the 1930s, they were called Polacos. Uh -huh. Well, if they had been Polacks, they wouldn't have had to leave Poland. This is the thing. <laughs> it's the exact story. It's a, yeah. So you understand. Right. And so I was we're then in this point where people were talking about how only white people can be racist. That's where this we're at, getting up to 2015 in the education scene. A lot of teachers talking about this. I told my story and somebody said to me, a teacher, no, that wasn't racism. That was um, that was bigotry. You, you can't be racist towards you. And I go, so if somebody gets, you know, has talked to me, you know, I feel like terrible. I feel threatened. I was called a patty bastard. I feel that's not that's not no that can't you can't there's it's not possible so for me again you'll understand this with your heritage and background me as an irish person 600 years colonialism the whole spiel blah 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 blah. i said sorry i'm not buying that i'm not buying that um you know that racism is racism the, anyone they, can be anyone can receive they're really anti-picked yeah <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah anti that's right i mean <laughs> You know, it, it is it is so like what you know. Th these people don't even have a definition of race because that would box them in. All it, all it means is whoever we want to abuse. Correct. That's what it is. And I want to clarify that, like you know, I have no hard feelings against England, English, anything like that. Because again, these forget skin, it. That's it's a it's a just second generation skinheads, the punks. Really, you know. Yeah, that's it. It's just, and you let us you have to let it go off your back or else you're going to live a life of misery. Right. right. Um, 
But so then in this was around the time in education where this Ibrahim Kendi and all of this stuff is getting very fashionable and only white uh, people can be racist. And I start seeing this getting into curriculum on Twitter. I actually ran a lot of um, education chats and things for other educators. I got a huge amount of educators and students in my university program onto Twitter and um, uh, so I've been a great ambassador for Twitter. It hasn't been yeah. returned, but, but anyway, I was able to see how a lot of this modern progressive thinking was getting into the classroom and I could, so I had alarm bells pre 2015, but then once Trump gets into power, once Brexit, people lose their minds, they just lose their minds. And so you can make a choice at that point to like get angry about it or, or, or have a laugh. I tried to have a laugh. I believe, you know, about my comedy, um, I had a comedy channel at one point, um, Progressive Tad TV, where I would just make fun of all these tropes, but that wasn't allowed. So again, they came after that. And I said, well, what can I do here? If I'm not allowed to make fun of authoritarianism, wherever it is, um, what can I do? Okay, well, I guess let's be serious. Let's ask, ask Gavin McGinnis. He's not allowed to do anything. He's it's I know. Stop this. This it's insane. It's insane. And I should point out Gavin was interesting because talking about extremism and Twitter and but um, I mean, all the Proud Boys could be seen as is a direct mirror to Antifa. And look at how that was handled, how one morning, boom, all Proud Boys go. But Antifa, I mean, if you from if we look at it from, say, you know, a CVE counter violent, violent extremism perspective, they are the exact same thing. But Twitter has shown a clear bias in favor of one against the other. And that how do you think that's going to end up? It brings me back to the journalists I was beginning to see in these chat rooms. I would see how they would poke and prod, and then I would see how their Antifa friends would dox and harass. And I said, how do you think this is going to end up? This person, you're going to eventually push somebody um, so close against the wall that they're going to have two options, hurt themselves or hurt somebody else. I mean, what you're doing is insane. And that's, again, so back to my approach, which was naive that I thought I could help. Please, sorry, Ron, I was in the middle of a rant. Can you put that up again? Oh, yeah, I, 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 I thought you would uh, see it. Look, with, we'll see it with one eye. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. The story, right. Of, this is what you just finished describing. Right. Exactly. Right. I mean, and, and I mean, you can put over that dude's head. You can put um, Huff Poe, Daily Beast, SPLC, you name it. I mean, they, they are, to, from what I saw, and first I tried to back off it because I went, I don't know if I want, that's a bit heavy. Like, you know, I thought, I don't know if I want to get that deep. But, and, and I was this very middle of the road, good boy. You know, I did all I should have done. I played the game always. I was a good teacher. I was, a, you know, and I didn't want to rock the boat. Um, but I could see these guys are causing unbelievable damage and playing such a dangerous game by pushing these people to the wall. I mean, and again, for clicks, for clicks, it's so cynical. Well, was it only for clicks, though? Because that's actually a much milder accusation mm. than another than other accusations you could make. And I think the, the, that would be borne out by your research and that of Andy No and Jack Posobiec, which is that it's the clicks are incidental. And the, yeah. I mean, the accreting influence is super important. But the idea is they are on a mission. It's all part of a what they yeah. accuse, of course, what they accuse you and I of doing right now. Yeah. Uh, is, is is very much part of a deplatforming, Overton window moving, uh, you know, exclusivizing, cancelizing, you know, process by which 
certain points of view and people who espouse them are deemed permanently non-people. Just... If I can just again, I can show that very clearly um, because, and I'm nobody, right? I'm just, I'm just, a, I'm just, I'm just a, a guy who had no profile, nothing. There's, and this has happened to thousands of people. Um, so it's the same story, but I, I could... Um, so when my article comes up, if we fast forward there, that sure. basically I, I got interested in, I had initially been interested in studying the far right. I saw, wait a minute, this is complicated. I was very naive. And I said, mm. I did my presentation in Berlin um, about the far left and the far right. And I fell in after the conference with a gentleman who was with the Bundesamt for Verfassungsschutz. So that's, they're the protection of the constitution. That's what it literally tra um, translates to. Basically, they track extremism. And this guy happened to be tracking left-wing extremism. And I obviously thought, whoa, this is the first time I had met somebody who was interested in this. And he was studying Antifa in Germany. This um, very, very, very interesting guy. And I thought, hey, let's build a bridge here. I mean, the right wing of what I saw was so toxic scary when you see the people involved the people with power involved and there's so much money being thrown at it by universities by government it's saturated totally oversaturated the demand far outweighs the supply it's insane and i said this is a this is a mess and it's an unethical dangerous mess and i said all right let's have a look this guy we had a great chat so that's where i got into looking at antifa and um i went and now at that at that stage Okay, Antifa is really a phenomenon that is right. born in the east, in the east, in eastern, in East Germany. Absolutely, absolutely. They had by in the Weimar period, they um, came out of the Stalinist um, um, Communist Party. They were their street fighters at that point. Literally, every party had a street fighting uh, faction. They sure. were literally the street fighting faction of the German Communist Party. They survive up through various iterations past the world wars, and they come to America um, more with an anarchist perspective than the, that initial communist one in, in, in Germany, um, in Weimar Germany. But I start studying these guys, and so I said, well, let's put together a, a Something that we all have a feeling, for example, like what I had seen the journalists, for example. Well, are they just cheerleaders or are they Antifa? Where's what's going on here? What's there's a lot of I said, let's just try and clean this thing out. Let's try and get um, a st statistical kind of uh, overview here. And so what I did was I gathered up all the followers following of 16 core Antifa accounts. And then I created this huge database of 60,000 um, Antifa accounts on Twitter whittle this down to the 2% most connected. And within that, this most connected 2% of Antifa on Twitter, there was over 20 journalists. And um, I'm sorry, blue tick verified journalists with national profiles. And in that, it's a who's who from the New Republic to, to Politico to SPSC, HuffPost, and so on and so on. And um, this is where then I published this finding and it just explodes. And these guys just go for me and have been ever since they're still going for me sure. i should say that that article it was it passed peer review it's a very slow process and yeah thanks that's that's exactly the initial article and so and i mentioned it in there that it's undergoing peer review and um i it passes peer review jack posovich fair juice to him he tweeted it out and Immediately, within the week, there's a hit piece that includes both his name and my name. It's an article about how the far right is abusing Twitter's new rules and blah, blah. But I'm randomly name checked after all this time. 
If you look at who writes the article, it's Hannah Gish, who works for Michael Hayden, who's one of the people in my initial article, in the initial article. It's her fiance um, who's writing this hit piece, you know, to try and shut down the, the, the report, overshadow it by saying, hey, he's a bad guy. He's a, he's a right wing guy. Don't read the research. And again, once I get on Twitter, just there out of the blue in May again, and I mention it, suddenly, boom, cut again. I have no profile again. So they've worked very hard to try and suppress the information. I should mention again, I mentioned Michael Hayden of the SPLC. There was a hit piece put out by the Columbia Journalism Review that got a lot of attraction. That again, written by his good friend. But more importantly, the editor behind the scenes is Michael Tellman, who is Thielman Tellman, who is a very good friend of Hayden and who worked on project with him, which is basically an Antifa tactic of doxing. So he wrote an OSINT article for journalists, um, you know, on how to employ Antifa tactics in your journalism. So again, Hayden, it's what it showed me is just how viciously these people go after you and how they'll abuse their credentials. What that essentially is, is Michael Hayden asked his friend and his, co his co colleague's fiance to write hardcore hit pieces. They're just a clique of far left activists, but they use the credentials afforded to them by these by their publications, which carry serious weight right. to crush me. And that's happened to, you name it, Gavin, you mentioned, name McGinnis, time and time again. I'm not alone, but it's sure. shocking when you see how it's, how it's put into process. And it, well, it's a remarkable testament to the work that you as a so-called nobody, because I mean, look, right, yeah, I have. Gavin, Gavin had a, a profile. Right. Gavin was a guy. He was on Fox News. He was right. He founded the problem. You know, he was a real guy. So he had to be destroyed. And it, you know, they, right. you know, I mean, you said something before you said, you know, the Proud Boys are a mirror to Antifa. I didn't want at that time to stop you in your flow. I'm not the lawyer for the Proud Boys, but I will say not their record of official Proud Boys related violence couldn't hold a candle to Correct. Antifa. Can I clarify that as well there, Ron, because it's a very good point. Yeah, please do. When I say that they're a mirror, um, yeah, I, sh I should have clarified because they're absolutely not in terms of the violence and extremist mentality. What I mean, meant, mean is that if, there, if Antifa had been kept in check by social media accounts and, and, and by society, politicians who are emboldening and enabling them, then there wouldn't have been a reason for the Proud Boys to exist. That's what I should have said. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, please. So, so now, so, so they, they decide, so they, this article was so devastating. And because remember, you remember, I don't have to tell you, but remember, listeners, what Owen has said here is he didn't go undercover and you now have to believe him or get a bunch of interviews and you have to believe the people he spoke to who are unlikely to be identified, like in a Washington Post or a New York Times or right. a Vanity Fair article. All Owen did was log onto Twitter like anybody in any free country can do anytime and collect receipts and connect dots. And when he was done doing that, he had found people who would appear to have some interesting and important relationships and who are also involved in, shape, uh, in shaping public opinion. You don't have 
a voice to come back and 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 make your points you know and i was saying that gavin he knows this better than anyone that they get to paint you in public then um they get to say who this guy is and the point you made which was very good is they what i saw when all of these news companies came down on me and they're not news companies there are a couple of guys that click who are just using saying hey you write this you um to smear and to ruin you but they just, it's all ad hominem. They just go after your reputation. They just say Nazi, right wing. He's that, that, that what you said was that, and I'm very proud of is nobody has been able to disprove this research. Nobody, nobody has been able to take it down. That's why they, every time something about this comes out, there's a hit piece and it's all Nazi who this guy's, but, and sorry, that's what led me to that point, which Gavin can understand is the worst thing when you're not on Twitter is you don't have a platform to defend yourself and you don't have a platform to clear your character. You don't have that platform. I'm a regular center of the road guy. I'm largely apolitical, but if politically I'm very much a centrist, but if you are to read any of the, the the trash on blogs and all going around about me i mean an employer think of friends family members if they read this stuff and you're just given no, once you're off twitter you just don't have a platform you just don't have a platform to defend yourself and the longer you're off twitter the more that's seen as a confirmation of your illegitimacy absolutely take for example sam thielman the guy who orchestrated this columbia journalism review hit piece I, I, out of interest, last night I was thinking about this interview and I just looked, what's this guy doing now? He's got a sub stack and he does some, some he's, got a, he's got like a, a Twitter channel with 300, a few, very few followers about comic books. Yeah, yeah, great. Good for you, Sam Thielman. You get to go on and live in anonymity. But that hit piece you put out about me stays forever. You know, I'm, I assume CJ, the Columbia Journalism Review figured out quickly that, hey, this guy's an activist. Let's get rid of him. But the smear remains on my name and particularly so because I'm not on Twitter. And again, that's why I want to thank you for having me on here today. It really means a lot. Well, I, you know, I, I, you're welcome. I'm, I'm, I think it's great to be able to get your story all at once and all in one place. And as you're telling it, I'm remembering now as it was taking place and I would catch it in snatches. But I saw what happened uh, you know, when I started, you know, I, I do a very small amount of research before each sure. uh, interview. I wish I could say that, that there was a a principle to being uh, lazy, but they're not. It's just there's not. There's just being lazy. Your name, your the the SEO concepts that come up when doing search for your name are all linked to, you know, the these routine words of opprobrium far right. Yeah. Uh, yep. Or they call you uh, scare quotes around researcher, you know, and and there's no accountability. There's no, no, no. recourse. No. And they say, oh, gosh, well, you know, hey, go on Truth Social. Go on, you know, right. go on Parler. Right. Talk to the other, you know, uh, talk to the 40,000 people instead of the 40 million people you were talking to before. That's a right. good substitute. Right. But this is old news. We knew this already. I do think in your case, you know, they're, they're, the really fascinating bullet points are you come out of nowhere. You don't have, you haven't developed some right-wing vision, you know, again, using the, the comparison to Gavin McGinnis, who already had been known for having called himself, you know, as 
uh, he had f- coined this phrase western chauvinism so he's already uh, saying look i'm a reactionary that's what i'm that's what i'm going to sell here yeah, he's edgy comedian yeah right but you're you're just this guy you know this europeanist you know traveling between irish between ireland and germany over the uk i mean that actually makes you suspect uh, of for, for, of cosmopolitanism <laughs> you know uh and working you know an academic where you're in other words you're in the belly of the beast and you know and then you do this research based on unimpeachable empirical information about who's doing what on social media and you're taken down like mm-hmm. public enemy number one. Yeah. yeah. And you come back on Twitter for 10 hours and someone sounds the alarm and you, they push you back down under the water. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and so, you know, yes, it's a story, it's a story worth telling. Quillette has given you a, uh, a platform. They occupy kind of a strange place. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Uh, and it's changing, I hear. But, you know, it's, I don't think the, the answer, I don't think the, the answer is, but well, we have Colette and we have, you know, we, and we have uh, Getter and, you know, in other words, there, there are little ghettos that we can establish and, and, and say what we want to say to people who don't really need to be convinced of it at this point anyway. Um, now, now in Europe, you know, people, you know, we, we forget that Twitter is an American, is an American thing. Mm-hmm. They don't have the first amendment there. No. On the other hand, they don't have, they're not, sh- because for this reason, governments are not shy about getting involved in the content regulation business. Mm-hmm. And I recently spoke to uh, the famous uh, Count Dac- Dankula. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, you know, who was, who, who has not been banned from social media, strangely enough, but actually experienced something that we as Americans can't conceive of, which is he was arrested for making a right. tasteless right. Holocaust joke. And But if I can tell you the number of Jews, including people like me who are from Holocaust survivor families who make tasteless Holocaust jokes, we'd be in camps again, okay? <laughs> There's one right there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> right. I, I better stay out of the UK. Um, so again, if you come from hardship, dark humor is, you know, that's it's it's essential. Yeah, but boy, you know, if if the Irish didn't exist, the Jews would have had to invent them. Uh, you know, <laughs> for the for, on the because you guys at least keep us honest on the self pity scale. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Owen, you've been you, you've been so forthcoming, and you've told us, you know, it, I think it's merely enough for us to get up everyone up to speed on on you. Yeah, what else? What else? What else? Can we could I just you're making you're in, you're making your point there about the difference between here and America? And yes, I, I, one, one of the nice things, um, <clears throat> and we do have a lot of restrictions here in Germany in particular, but um, after that. Emily Gorchensky was mentioned in that article. And oh, after which? After the Columbia Quillette. Quillette. Oh, your your Quillette stuff. Okay. Uh, and she's in the new, and she's mentioned in the article that's past peer reviews. Oh, you mean, you mean the 2019 article? 
Correct. The original atom bomb that you dropped. Yeah. Okay. So after, so just to show you again how, like you said, exactly, an atom bomb and just how everyone comes down to you. And you can think, oh my God, I'm done here. I've really messed up. What a, well, she sued me here in Germany and lost. She, it's official by German standards that she is an Antifa doxer, as I stated there. So again, you know, I know these stuff, but I don't have the platform to push out. No, sorry, you can't. You know, all of the, not, the lies that are stated about you on social media, I can't say no. Here are the facts. Um, so if, and again, when I got back for that 10 hour window, I managed to put up the article quick and say peer reviewed. Hey, this is great. And our friend in the, my friend in the SPLC states, that's a paid for thing, lol. Again, he can just lie, so blasé. But well, again, I, with the weight of SPLC, those letters, you know, who are you going to believe? This nobody or the guy, you know, it's... it's, a, it's a, and, I, and I'm saying that not for, as a pity thing for me, but there are so many people who have been canceled and haven't. And just, it's cathartic to be able to say out, hey, and thank you. You know, really, thank you. You know, for, it, I never know if, 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 if any podcast will be my last. I, I, you know, I, but that's the way to go as far as I'm concerned. Um, well, it's I, made a difference to me, Ron. A big difference. Thank well, you. Well, it's look, a way it, to carry that around for three years, knowing just, just how ugly this was and how people perceive you. It's just been allowed to tell the truth, get it out there. It makes a big difference. Thank well, you. You're, well, you're welcome. Let me, so any, what do you see going forward for you? Let's assume more of the same, but do you, do you see anything to give you any hope is, 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 well, the must business is the biggest thing right now. Right. I mean, right. that's everything, right? It's everything. It's either he's going to take that over. I hope it's not just a, like, I mean, if he pulls out and sure, even if he gets a billion, that's a win for him. Great for him. But what it's, this is, you know, the, the, you know, it doesn't affect a regular Joe more importantly, it doesn't affect society. That's like Twitter has a massive effect. Um, Twitter is still where news is made and still where consensus is, is formed and driven. And so he, he has to push through with that and he has to he has to sort out the mess that's there i mean i, I really hope he does i really hope he can i mean it's an interesting thing they voted a poison pill and then they realized that that would expose them to you know incredible liability because it's obviously um the poison pill was not in the interest of shareholders but what they i don't know whether they realized it or didn't realize it i assume they didn't it what what I think is clearly coming across as a knowing misrepresentation about the extent of fake accounts on Twitter mm -hmm. is a built-in poison pill. Yeah, right. And the difference of this poison pill is that while a poison pill does tend to, uh, is, is at least prima facie to the detriment of shareholders because it says we won't let merely a high share price uh, deprive us of control and it's for your long-term benefit shareholders if in fact twitter has been misrepresenting mm -hmm. um, uh, metrics to advertisers and to the sec that is a real problem that is oh, a real yeah. problem and it, that's going to be fascinating to watch well if he doesn't take over to, you know a total collapse be a total collapse or have to start from the bottom up equally good yeah i mean i think that the 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 he has certainly already made uh, ha, had a major major achievement 
both mm-hmm. on several major yeah. achievements. One yeah. is is the uh, you know acting as a, an agitator, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and upsetting the apple cart there. But he has elevated his voice. Mm-hmm. A person who had been an icon of the left in general. I'm not talking about Antifa. I mean, they tend to be nihilistic. No, no, no. Clean but, energy and all of these ideals. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, sort of a Steve Jobs uh, right. type of figure. And then he gets into the muck and sees what's really going on and, and doesn't only say, you know, even Jeff Bezos in the last couple of months has come out with some st- astonishing tweets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But Musk says, not only am I not only am I going to start calling things out that I'm seeing, I'm, I'm a Republican now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the only way you can do that in, in his world is to have genuine FU money, but he, that's what he's got. That's what he's got. You're right though. He's shifting. Oh, when just, just having the courage to say it out loud. Yes. Right. I mean, we were talking before about this idea, you know, about this tug of war and these battling constituencies within Twitter and now in the, you know, all of which has been thrown into great relief by, and at, you know, and to a large extent elevated by the Musk, the Musk business. And people often ask me, well, actually I tweeted about a week into this. I said, if you work at Twitter and you think this would be a good time to start deleting files, I really would recommend against it, even though I'm sure you know, you think you've got good reasons for it because all of this is amenable to being, you know, forensically recreated and it's just going to make things worse. It is no question that things, the atmosphere, the, the workings of the algorithm, the engagement on Twitter, and you're off Twitter, so you're not experiencing it so much yourself, but right. certainly for those of us who are on the higher end of, mm-hmm. uh, of followers, it was alive for two or three weeks in a way that it had not been for five or six years. It was really something to, and, but I just find it amazing to think. And so then they put you back up and then they take you back down. Don't they realize that they're making a record there also? I mean, you just wonder, but who knows? I mean, you've never really had any interaction with Twitter people, right? With, well, no, never, never, no. But it is interesting, right? So there's two things there that are definitely fishy. They're, they, it's like they turned on the, the, the faucet for the conservative um, support. It would appear whether they were conservatives rushing in because of Musk or well, whether they had been throttling accounts. That's what one thing exactly we're going to see. Um, <clears throat> the other thing is, yeah, this rush of people like me who are let back on, and even if we were um, banned a, again, that would suggest that maybe maybe they're they're kind of you know those people who have that who are maybe manually banned or those people who are banned for ideological reasons are being allowed on and they don't they're trying to cover that up i'll tell you what i'm very interested in is i think so what the research that with quillette and now what's been peer-reviewed is i've clearly identified the pipeline from antifa to journalists national press i cannot wait to see if we can establish that pipeline from Antifa to journalist to insider Twitter. And my suspicion is it's no there. Question. Can we prove it? 
No <laughs> question whatsoever. Well, maybe Ron, that's where you get you come in with you guys. If there's, you know, with well, some of these, if one of our lawsuits against Twitter withstands the contortions that our judiciary will go through to avoid ever letting anyone proceed in a lawsuit against Twitter, then, uh, and the, I mean, the extent of those contortions, I can tell you stories from other lawyers about just how crazy and inexplicable some of the things are on that score. And, and also SPLC, you know, our case on behalf of Gavin McInnes in Alabama has been sitting through there for three years now. The judge has three years. The judge has not ruled on, really? on SPLC's no motion to dismiss. That's right. Nothing. How can that, how can they, how There's can no, they hold it? He, he has no accountability. He's just, he's sitting on it. The judge is sitting on it. And uh, the real question is how this judge in a judge in a in a district with six judges of which he is the only liberal all cases against the SPLC end up getting assigned to him it doesn't sound like the operation of a random assignment system no no can i another place where you and i intersect there then on this um the gentleman that harassed me um works for the, HES, the SPLC and, uh, you know, I was banned like that. My feeling is that he has an insider, um, that the SPLC, of course, did work with Twitter quite closely there sure. for a period, and that was short. Is there, um, I don't know if that can, if that's an area you're going to be looking into in the future. I hope we have the opportunity. It's, it's something that I've been very aware of for a while. And yeah, it's very real and, you know, we have to stand up and be counted. And I thank you for doing that as well. Well, you're doing it. It's history. We're really watching his history live. And there are a lot of people who really want history to stop. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they want the existing order, the existing order. And, you know, people who it's, it's just so ironic to me that people who paint themselves as radicals are absolutely part and parcel of the globalist corporate system. Correct. And what I wonder is, you know, when is that going to come home to roost? When, it, you know, what, is it yeah. all a game or is, are they, is it just, is it, it yeah, I just don't know. I don't have the answer. Can I say one thing as well? And it's, you Please. know, because there are different solutions, right? This is so complicated that, my wish for, you know, not to sound too wishy-washy or anything, is that I want to, I would love to see the same, just, just courage. You're, that's all you're doing here is showing courage in all of your work, how you just stand and, and just tell truths. I would like to see all across the media. I want to see more of that. I want to see conservative media just have that strength, that backbone to just do what you're doing. Just tell, you don't have to be on the attack. You don't have, but just defend reality, defend free speech, basic, the basics. Well, you look at the people like Glenn Greenwald, man of the left, and, and I, with whom I, I have had so little in common until fairly recently. And I really couldn't stand him because he was, I felt that he was so reflexively anti-Israel <laughs> and, 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 and blaming the CIA for right. everything. And all of a sudden, so much that he said, except I think on Israel, where he's absolutely blinkered. Uh, and I'm not blinkered, believe me, but I, I'm no. on the other direction. But I, but I think that, you know, there's, there's nothing they can do right in his eyes. But the point is, here's a guy who gave up his role in The Intercept, which he had helped found, 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, he has a certain, a, he has a certain cushion. He has a great, he has a reputation, but there are people who have really paid the price and he's not a concern. He's not, there's nothing conservative about Glenn Greenwald whatsoever, no. but there's nothing right to universal in a, principles in the West right now in 2022, there's nothing more reactionary than the left. Yep. For sure. For sure. Owen, thanks again. I hope we'll talk soon. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Ron. You're welcome. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.